Welcome back to Real Big Mistakes, where we reevaluate a film's critical consensus on Rotten Tomatoes and determine if the movies are better or worse than their reputation suggests. I'm Jason Konigsberg of PanandSlam.com. And I am Rich Tola. And it's been a little while, Rich, but we're finally back here and we're doing a very new recent movie. Uh, so I guess this will count as your pick, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, tell the listeners what movie we are doing this week and why. Alright, so um, we are going to be discussing Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Um, why? Because it is a new Indiana Jones movie, which you know is always a big deal. Um, currently, uh, so we also, we reviewed the last Indiana Jones movie to be released in 2008, which was, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So we did discuss that, uh, in one of our previous podcasts. And, um, if I recall correctly, you didn't think it was a real big mistake, but I did. Is that right? That sounds accurate. I... Okay. Uh, yeah, because I'm going by my review from when I saw it in 2008, where I gave it three stars, and it's a very marginal three stars, but I certainly understand the criticisms of it, and it's certainly not a great movie by any, you know, it, it, it. and once again, compared to the original trilogy, which I think in our previous podcast we said is kind of a perfect trilogy, mm-hmm. um, especially the way it ends in Last Crusade, the, you know, indie and... Uh, his father and Brody riding off into the sunset with that music. It's kind of like such a perfect ending. You know, so anything else was superfluous, but it certainly could have been better. Time has not, the 15 years since that came out, time has not been kind to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I don't blame it either, so. Mm hmm. Um, so. Yeah, so we both kind of felt that way, and and this is supposedly the last Indiana Jones movie, and it's not supposedly, again, supposedly, it's not going to be uh, passed on to anyone else or carried on, and this is it, right? I mean, have you heard anything different than that? That's what I've heard. I heard. I remember years ago there were rumors that Bradley Cooper and Chris Pratt were going to be the new Indiana Jones, and I believe Harrison Ford came out in the interview and said, "No, I'm Indiana Jones." He, you know, sort of uh, takes a lot of pride in this role, and he he does a very good job. There's no denying that. I believe today, or the date that we're recording this, or yesterday, he just celebrated his 81st birthday. Mm-hmm. So. I saw that on IMDb, so, I mean, if they're going to do another Indiana Jones, I'm not sure if they could, but, I mean, Harrison Ford, hey, we just saw him in this new movie. He does look great for 80 or 81, does he not? Yeah, no, he, do- he definitely looks great, um, but, you know, he looks 80. Um, I think in Crystal Skull, he looked older, but... It was a little bit more, you know, you kind of felt like he could still be doing some of those things. But in this one, thankfully, and I'm sure we'll discuss this more, uh, they they don't try to fool you with too much of, you know, like he doesn't really look like Superman out there running around. Uh, he looks yeah, old. Yeah, there was less CGI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's we should maybe tell the listeners, Rich and I did see this in the theater together. And yes. we did briefly talk about our opinions and shared our thoughts afterwards. Uh, Immediately afterwards. Home. Immediately afterwards, yes. But we haven't talked about the movie since. I have since wrote a review. I believe Rich has read it, but he has not told me so much 
if he agrees with my review on panandslam.com or not. So he's being very coy, as usual. <laughs> uh, my opinions are right out there, front and center. You can all read it. You can all uh, know what I thought of Dial of Destiny. But um, but th- th- Rich does think this makes for a more interesting discussion, and I do happen to agree with him. So I could be all surprised or shocked or outraged. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, so... And like you said, they tailored this movie more for his age whereas the other one it was sort of you know tailored he looked old in the other one and he was old he was in his 60s um but it looked like something that a 40 year old man should be doing uh Mm -hmm. um yeah so um you know i'm sure we did a plenty of a backstory about indiana jones what it means to us in the last podcast so we don't have to get too much into that and if people are curious they can go back and listen to that one um but um, just just briefly, um, does Indiana Jones w- just again briefly? What what does it mean to what did the original original trilogy mean to you, and what does it mean to you now, um, so many years later? Well, I'll share first, and then you could share. I mean, I never saw the original trilogy in theaters, so the the first three movies I had seen on VHS or on HBO. Um, I did see them in order. My, my father made me sit down, and uh, I guess he really liked those movies, so he had me sit down, and I saw them. And I think I saw them at some point, because I know Rich is a big Disneyland fan. I did see them either right before or right after I saw the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular at MGM Studios, now Hollywood Studios in Disney World. Um, so I was familiar with them, and I mean, I just thought they were great movies. The Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first movie, absolutely fantastic. I th- still think that image of the giant boulder going after Indy and the, the, the everything with the gold statue at the beginning to the ending, uh, you know, with... Uh, it all means nothing, and it's just off, you know, being carted away. The Ark, uh, fantastic, indelible images from that. So very important, you know, special movie for me. Temple of Doom maybe was my introduction to gore and horror in some capacity, because once again, I saw these movies between the ages of 7 to 10. I'm not entirely 100% sure when I saw you know, saw all three of them. Mm-hmm. But at some point in that order, you know, in elementary school, definitely, you know, I had seen all three of them by the time I was 10 and in fifth grade for sure. And then uh, Last Crusade, I think, is, you know... Uh, the weakest but still a fantastic movie in a lot of ways and so much fun and i believe i mentioned this previously in the previous podcast if, if anyone has any doubts about sean connery being a terrific actor if they think he's just oh he's just james bond or he's just an action star he's really funny in that movie and it really picks up once he comes into the the story and mm-hmm. uh, his line delivery is fantastic uh so all three of them are like i said practically a perfect trilogy more perfect than the original star wars trilogy more perfect than the back to the future so when they were adding more to it i was disappointed um but i guess i was you know younger when 15 years ago when the first one came out so maybe i was just happy to see indiana jones in theaters and now i'm a little older a little more cynical and and this is a different movie in some ways better and in some ways worse which we'll discuss so but the original trilogy was very very special to me at a young age you know sort Mm -hmm. of you know introduced me to action adventure movies the likes of which i had never seen before and obviously adults because there was such a big deal in 1981 when raiders of the lost ark came out 
the world loved them as well. Not just children, not just little boys. Okay, everyone really embraced these movies, and they're you know Indiana Jones has joined James Bond and Dirty Harry, and maybe in some ways surpassed them as being one of the most iconic movie heroes of all time. So that's my take on the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, Rich, feel free to share yours briefly. Uh, yeah, same in regards to when I saw them. Um, I don't remember the order I saw them in. I feel like Last Crusade was the first one I actually saw, sat down and watched from start to finish. And Temple of Doom was probably the first one I've ever watched in some capacity because I definitely remember the Temple of Doom and the, you know the, the ripping of the heart out and the guys going into the you know into the flames and all that. And the chilled um, monkey brains too, no doubt. That dinner scene I think, stood brain, out to me brain. more than reaching the hand into the heart. I mean, there's just some images, you know. And we—that's all, you know. Spielberg's, you know, dislike for that movie is a whole different story for a, another podcast. But mm-hmm. definitely, it's whether you like that movie or not, it's pretty memorable. <laughs> okay. So. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's my least favorite of the three, I, and I, you know, you you like it probably second best, but. But that's so negligible, Rich. And I think, yeah. Rich, I'm more of a horror movie fan than you, and maybe I like movies. With I was going back and re-listening to some of our old podcasts before we did this, and, and I do feel that I like movies with a little bit more of an edge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, discussing how you were, you know, favorable with National Treasure, and I thought that was crap. Yet, I really love Con Air, and Con Air is definitely a more violent, you know, hard-edged movie. So, maybe it's just our tastes are just aligned a little differently, that's all. Right. Um, so, yeah, you know, and, and I think, uh, and, and Raiders was the last movie of the three that I saw, for sure. Because um, I just remember, just I, I didn't own it, I didn't have the opportunity to see it. Whenever it was on cable, I'd get about halfway through and then fall asleep because of commercials, and it was always on late. Um, but then once I, you know, as I got older and I eventually did see it and sit down and watch it from start to finish, it immediately became my favorite. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, the best one by far. In fact, I think it stands alone as the best one and then all the rest come after. Um, uh, but I, I think, agree the, with that, I, I think the original trilogy is great and I think it ends great. And I think, um, after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it didn't really add anything to it. And... You know, like I said, I don't love that movie. I don't absolutely hate it, but I don't love it in any way. Um, I think it's 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 a crap entry. Um, I, I rewatched this clip the other day. I, I think I saw it on Twitter, and it had Steven Spielberg come out. They were it was a it was a clip from Comic Con or something back back in 2007, 2008, somewhere around there. And Steven Spielberg comes out and he's like, you know, with this movie, I'm really thinking every shot. I'm thinking about the fans and I'm doing this for the fans. And and that made me so angry This just last week. <laughs> I'm like, if you thought that's what the fan, you thought the fans wanted Shia LaBeouf swinging from vine to vine with monkeys. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> like, you really thought the fans would see that and think this is so cool. Like, that's no, like. Or even it, the ending, Indy getting married and then taking the hat from Shia LaBeouf. And that, just, you know, I, I, I don't have or any that the issue fans would with want that. Aliens? The fans would want aliens in an that Indiana Jones crap. movie? The, the whole being, you know, the, the refrigerator nonsense. And, and that's what know. bothers me the least. I know that f- people freak out over that scene because of the scientific and ridiculousness of well, the scientific impossibilities. But uh, there's so many. Uh, that, first of all, that also comes in the first 20 minutes. So if you write that movie off right then and there, which is possible. I've, I've written movies off in the first two minutes, let alone 20 minutes or 10 minutes. 
you're then you're gonna have a miserable time okay so um well I, and that, that that wasn't enough to write the movie off for me but it, you know it's just like i don't you know it's it, it wasn't my favorite part it didn't ruin the movie for me but it's like but seriously you thought you were thinking of the fans when you thought of that like you were thinking of the fans with all these th- all these choices you made in this movie you thought of the fans it sounds like you what, really what? hate Steven Spielberg right now, and you want to strangle him a little. <laughs> well, I just want to say to him, I, I don't want to strangle him, but I just want to say to him, <laughs> what are you doing? Like, what, what were you really thinking of the fans? And and you thought the fans would like? Are you that out of touch with your fans? Uh, is really what I want to ask him. Like mm, that you really that, thought that's a good way of putting it. Out that of you touch. really, I, I yeah, think. that you really thought that they would like these choices and like. No, maybe you need to go back to making movies with your vision and not worry about the fans because clearly that didn't work out for you. Um, and I think he's done that. I mean, I the, the past decade and a half or two to twenty years or so, Steven Spielberg has made some very good films. However, oh yeah. they're not Raiders of the Lost Ark. They're not Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They're not Jaws. They're The Post or Lincoln. Or, I mean, just last year, I think he he was up for Best Director and Best Picture, and I would not have minded if he won either of those Oscars for The Fablemans. So he's Mm -hmm. still directing quality pictures. And I think even the year before, he was nominated for Best Picture and Best Director for his remake of West Side Story. So Mm -hmm. he's still very relevant and very good. But maybe this escapist, you know, blockbuster style of action movies that he was, you know, the best in, that he sort of invented... Maybe that's just not where he is anymore. He's a 75-year-old man. He's, it's, you know, it's difficult to, you know, maintain that, you know, youthful exuberance that he did for, you know, throughout the 70s and 80s and most of the 90s as well. Yeah, and, and I'm, listen, I'm not knocking him as a director at all, and, and, and he always was good, and, and he directed some of my favorite movies, uh, many of many of my favorite movies, um, and, and he still is making good movies, so I'm not knocking him as a director, just knocking his choice in that movie to say, I'm, I'm doing this for the fans, and I'm thinking about the fans with every, sh- every shot of this movie. Um, clearly, that didn't work in that case. So I'm glad no, he's. Ne- I'm no, glad he hasn't done that before or since that we know of, um, because you know, like I said, that that he he he's out of touch with his fans. If he thought that's what the fans were were wanting and looking mm-hmm. for, um, and I also just felt that movie was was kind of lazy. As the more I watch it, in terms of like shooting locations, like I mean, James uh, James. I was gonna say. Uh, it, Indiana Jones is kind of like James Bond, right? In a way. Yeah. Um, it, it's just a different version of James Bond, but it's got a lot of, you know, exotic locales and, you know, on set, or, um, on location shoots, right? Yeah. Um, More in tuned with history, I think. But I yes. think both, all the, all the Raider, well, archaeology, archaeological history, but I think all the Indiana Jones movies... And the James Bond movies have been shot in at some in some capacity in uh, London at Pinewood Studios, which is now the Albert R. Broccoli, the you know James Bond soundstage they call it, this massive stage where they shot the original uh, Sean Connery mm-hmm. 007 movies. I believe the Indiana Jones movies may have been shot there as well. I could be wrong. You know more about Indiana Jones, so you would well, know that, I think. The first three probably were. I don't know about Crystal Skull, but I know I don't think Crystal Skull had any exotic location shooting. I believe it was Hawaii, which is part of the obviously a part of the United States. And well, that's exotic. I mean, it's beautiful. It's just yeah, it's but it, just they, they the didn't... United States doesn't mean it can't be exotic. No, no, no. But they didn't go anywhere. Like it was, it took place really in what South America, 
and yeah, it was supposed to be South America, and yeah, there's no real globe trotting. No, se, no, no globe trotting. No, no. Like in this movie and the new movie that the Dial of Destiny. I mean, they were clearly on location in, in several different countries, right? And if they weren't, they really made it look. Yeah, then they really he fooled goes to us. Greece or something. He goes to Greece, and then he goes Sicily. to Sicily, well, Italy. You know, at some yeah. point. So yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's a good point. That's that's that's. So valid. it felt like you know. All right. Let's get the ba- gang back together. We're not going to do any crazy traveling. We're going to be in Hawaii. You know, and and you know. So it was a paid we're... vacation. We got to see a paid vacation for Spielberg, Lucas, and the cast and right, crew. And right. Right. Basically, what that's Adam how I Sandler. how I've described a lot of that's how I've described a lot of Adam Sandler movies. All of them. How many of them take place yeah. in Hawaii or Alaska yeah. or whatever? Africa. You know, the, <laughs> Yeah, one movie, I think that was Blended, yeah, his third movie yeah. with Drew Barrymore. So, yeah, so... Basically, I mean, wherever he's looking... Watching... I was say, wherever he's looking to go on vacation, that's where he went, That's where his movies take He would place. film a movie, yeah. <laughs> but you mentioned Lazy with the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Do you remember, after you said, I'm doing Indiana Jones, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for our next podcast, do you remember what I, what I chose to do our next movie the week after that? Predator 2. Absolutely, and then do you remember why I chose Predator 2? You figured it out when we did the podcast. Because the ending of Predator 2 was almost exactly the same as the ending of Crystal Skull. <laughs> I'm like, hey, they ripped off the ending, but I love the ending of Predator 2. I was just <laughs> like, oh my god. Like, but, you know, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, two of the greatest minds of cinema of the past 50 years. We talk about laziness. Ripping off the ending to a poorly reviewed, considered rotten sequel okay to uh action b movie to predator okay that's what indiana jones and the kingdom of the crystal skull was reduced to and i remember your quote where i'm like well so do you like predator 2 more now that you know that and you said no if anything if i saw predator 2 before i saw kingdom of the crystal skull i would have just hated kingdom of the crystal skull even more knowing Mm -hmm. that So you hated Predator Two, but it just it you hated Indiana Jones King of the Crystal Skull even more. Yes, Um, yeah. So that uh, I mean, I I love Indiana Jones. I've dressed up as Indiana Jones for Halloween. I have a fedora. I have the leather jacket that I've gotten from the place that makes them for the film. Um, You've shown it to me. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have you know, a whip too, or you did have a whip? I'm not. I sure do. Yes, I, I do. Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I I do love the character. Um, I I look forward. Uh, you know, even though my expectations were much lower for this one than they were back in 2008, and part of that is because I'm I'm 15 years older too, and you know I'm not a kid anymore. Looking, you know, excited for an Indiana Jones movie, and and you know the last one put a bad taste in my mouth. Um, Mm -hmm. so, I haven't really, you know, at this point, it's like, alright, whatever, you know, they already made a fourth one that kind of ruined the ending of the original trilogy, which we both agreed was Mm -hmm. perfect. Um, so now, you know, it is what it is, and and they're making it That's kind of my biggest problem, you know, with what what you just said, was, the Indiana Jones trilogy was perfect. It wasn't like Rocky, or even Star Wars, or even where you can do so much more with this. You had a one, you had a two, you had a three, it was perfect. It was, you know, there, there's, when I say uh, Last Crusade is my least favorite of the original trilogy, that's like splitting hairs here. It's a fantastic mm-hmm. movie. Okay, so it's pretty darn close to perfect in a lot of right. ways. Um, so just, yeah, and why mess with something that's so perfect? But, hey, they want to make money. <laughs> okay, so... Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, so and I'm obviously we'll get to how you've you've bashed Spielberg so much for his decisions with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm sure we'll get to talking about your decisions for the director and who they, you know, picked to direct this new movie and if you feel he was, you know, worthy of it and we'll discuss if he did a good job or not. All right, so let's let's get into the cast and the director. Um so, you know, obviously, you know, Spielberg did not direct this one. Um Probably for the reasons we just mentioned, um, he probably knew that it was time for him to step away. Um, I don't think it was the script or anything like that that kind of pushed him away. Um, I mean, if anything, I would say this this story is uh, better than the last one. Um, just the story overall, I mean, um, and, and the thing they're chasing after. It's just to me, it's just more, it was it was more interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think that was what did I I it, I, just, I don't know I'm, I'm speculating I don't know if he's ever come out and said why he's not directing this but I think it 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 was probably had to do with the last one would you what do you think I think I've read that Spielberg wants to make socially conscious movies now and he's been saying that for a long time he's been saying that since uh, maybe since Schindler's List you know going all the way back to there but then since then obviously he's done some fluff he did Lost World he did. Um, you know, some movie, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. But, I mean, I guess his serious dramas are sort of what stands out a lot more. But he's done really good sci-fi, too. And he remember, he turned down the chance to direct uh, the Harry Potter movies because um, he wanted to do more personal, you know, still big budget, but personal, you know, stories like AI, uh, which I think is a really good Spielberg movie, and Minority Report, which is an excellent movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, he... I mean, clearly he's not in the same place where he was when he directed Indiana Jones and E.T. and all those big, you know, 70s, 80s, early 90s blockbusters. Um, But he's still a very good director. I think he's become a more interesting director in some ways, you know, where he's... He never directed an Academy Award winning performance until 2012. He directed Daniel Day-Lewis to uh, Best Actor in Lincoln. And now you could say, oh, that's like Phil Jackson, uh, you know, coaching yeah, the Kobe, <laughs> Shaq, and Jordan to, yeah. to, you know, to a championship. Because uh, Daniel Day-Lewis wins Oscars like I, you know, drink water. Okay, but uh, uh, after that, he directed Mark Rylance to Best Supporting Actor for Bridge of Spies. He directed mm-hmm. I forgot Ariana DeBose to Best Supporting Actress for West Side Story. So he's sort of become... A very different type of director of the past decade or so. Um, more of an actor's director, more of... And not that his acting performances were ever bad, and I'm sure we're going to get into talking about how great of a performance Harrison Ford gives as Indiana Jones in all of these movies. Um, but it's not an Oscar-type movie now, is it? Uh, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. play, you know, Harrison Ford playing Indiana Jones, or, you know, the the acting performances in Jaws, or the acting performances in you know, Jurassic Park. You don't look at them and say, oh, give that man an Oscar. But he's sort of, you know, evolved and become a different kind of director now. And it's, it's what happens. He's gotten older. But at least he's still, like you said, he's still making quality movies. How many of the other directors that came up with him from the 70s are still consistently making really great movies. I can think of one. I'm sure you know who I'm thinking of, but that's about it. You wouldn't happen to be thinking of Martin Scorsese, would you? I would happen to be thinking of Martin Scorsese. Okay, so George Lucas isn't making quality pictures anymore. William Friedkin isn't making quality pictures anymore. Francis Ford Coppola hasn't made a good movie in 20, 30 years. 
that's it. They're the only two that are still consistently throughout the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and into 2020s, they're still making pretty good movies or great movies. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so, I, I mean, he, you can, you know, he could say whatever he wants. I, if, if the last one was a hit and was more well-received by the fans, I think he would have directed this one, but that's just my hunch. Um, but anyway, James Mangold... You're uh, probably right. You're probably yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, James Mangold took over, um, you know, he has directed um, uh, just a couple movies I know off the top of my head, Copland and Ford mm-hmm. vs. Ferrari, um, but I'm mm-hmm. sure you can list a bunch more off the top of your head. Well, um, yeah, I mean, he's he's directed... Uh, to me, James Mangold, we'll talk a little bit about James Mangold. I mean, he's no Steven Spielberg, but like I said, few filmmakers are. Right. Um, but he's... And also, another reason why Spielberg may not have come back to direct this, depending on the script... Uh, after he directed Schindler's List, he said he could never make a movie about World War II in a lighthearted manner. He could never make a movie where the Nazis are the villains, and uh, spoiler alert or not, I'm, I'm, this podcast is going to contain spoilers, I yeah, assume. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so just, just moving forward. It has to, okay? So, yeah, yeah. Um, the Nazis are the villains in this movie again. And so maybe that's a reason he chose not to do it. But James Mangold, to me, he reminds me of Ron Howard. He's I, he's not Spielberg or Scorsese, but you know what? You give him a big budget, you give him a decent script, you give him some really good actors, he can make a really good movie. You mentioned Copland. I didn't like Copland when I was younger, mostly because mm, Scorsese would have done a better job, because it had... <laughs> You know, Ray Liotta, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, and Sylvester Stallone. Mm -hmm. Big names, big stars. Three of those uh, four, they're almost synonymous with Scorsese. Um, But watching it as an adult, I think I was too harsh on it when I was younger. It's a really good movie and a really good uh, Stallone movie. And he's like Ron Howard. He's very good at directing some of the biggest movie stars of the past 25 years, the past quarter century. He's directed Tom Cruise, Christian Bale, Matt Damon, Stallone. I just mentioned Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Harvey Keitel, Joaquin Phoenix to an Oscar nomination for Walk the Line, Reese Witherspoon to an Oscar win for Walk the Line, Uh, Angelina Jolie in her Academy Award winning role in Girl Interrupted. He's directed Russell Crowe, Hugh Jackman, and now Harrison Ford joins that list of you know, huge names that James Mangold has directed to good, great, or at the very least serviceable performances in a, you know, decent movie. So I I, I think James Mangold's a very good director. Uh, If anything, maybe underrated. Uh, But he's he's a good studio director. Let's put it that way. Yeah, um, so I'm just going to read some of his films. Uh, Looks like his first film was Heavy in 1995. Never even heard of it. Um, it has a good cast. I never saw all of it, but it, you look up who's in that cast. It's a, a lot of people. I forget who off the top of my head, but it was enough to get him to get Miramax, you know, their attention to green light and give him the chance to direct Copland. And Copland had a huge cast. I named four of the people just now with Stallone, uh, De Niro, Keitel, and Leota. But there was mm-hmm. a bunch of other good people in that movie. Did you ever see Copland? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, yeah, all right. I, like I said, I used to not like it. Now I, I respect it tremendously. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't say I love it, but if it's one of those movies where if I see it on TV and I, it's on and I put it on or something like that, I'm sucked right into it. 
Um, and it actually makes me feel bad about Stallone because he yeah. took a pay cut for that. He put his ego in check, which is, I think, mm-hmm. the only one of the very few times in his career he's done that, especially at that point. Um, and he does deliver it. He gained weight for it. He delivered a good performance. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's it was, you know, if it was more financially successful, uh, I think uh, maybe Oscar nominations? I'm not sure, but uh, it, was, it yeah. was a very, it was a good movie. Yeah, it was a very good movie. Uh, Girl Interrupted, I did not see. Um, Kate and Leopold. That's another good one. Kate and Leopold I didn't see, but that's Hugh Jackman, that's Meg Ryan, so big mm-hmm. stars. Um... Walk the Line. Mm-hmm. You, was... you forgot Identity. He directed Identity with yes, John Cusack, I just skipped, which a yeah. lot of other people loved. I didn't care for it. Also, yeah, I, did, I didn't care for it either. As well. Okay, I did, yeah, I didn't care for it. Uh, you know, like three... psychological thriller. It was it was interesting, yeah. but it's not. It, uh, I didn't. It was okay. It was just fine. Uh, three Ten to Yuma. I didn't see, but I heard that was good. Really good western. Really good underrated mo- recent western. Mm-hmm. Uh, Night and Day. Uh, that was with Tom Cruise and Cameron Diaz. That might have been a good movie, if, or a better movie, if he directed it in 1999 instead of <laughs> whatever year he directed it in. Yeah, yeah 2010. Um, okay. Wolverine, uh, or sorry, The Wolverine, which I, that yep. one, yeah, Logan was the one. I didn't love that one. Yeah. That's like a samurai one. He's in Japan. It's okay. Yeah. Logan, though, is obviously the better one. Um, Logan which, is one of my all-time favorite X-Men movies or comic book movies. Yeah. That movie felt like a Western, you know, t- mm-hmm. tremendous movie. And Ford vs. Ferrari, which uh, I did see and I did like. Um, and then this one. So, um, most important. Quite a career. About, most of those are good yeah. movies, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he hasn't really made any, really any flops. Um no. My uh, or that many movies that I downright disliked or were like even like, I would say Identity might be my least favorite movie that you've read and it's still it's not a terrible movie. No, it's fine. Um, yeah. I uh, my connection with James Mangold is he uh, I when I found out he was directing this film I, f- I started following him on Twitter and um, one time I tweeted at him and he actually tweeted back to me. Um, mm-hmm. You did share that with me. Was it about I? Wordle? <laughs> it was about Wordle, yeah. Yep, I remember. Uh, he posted his Wordle score back when people did that. And <laughs> it was like four out of six or whatever it is. Something like average. And I was like, why post it if you didn't get at least a three? And he and he responded and said, well, I didn't want to only post the good ones. <laughs> So thought, okay, I clever, clever enough, and good for him. <laughs> good for him for responding to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's my little connection with him. Um, so he seems like a pretty cool guy from what I've heard of him. Like he seems like you know pretty down to earth and and you know mm-hmm. not snobby at all. Um, like um, one of the directors you had mentioned, Francis Ford Coppola. Um, mm-hmm. who who you had met and, and said he was a jerk, basically, right? Yeah, he wasn't the nicest, but uh, yeah, yeah, but he whatever. he this guy James Mangold seems like he he appreciates his fans. Um, okay, from what well, I've also seen. he's he's been famous, less famous, uh, much than less Coppola famous, yeah. for a less <laughs> yeah, much less famous. I mean, once again, Coppola, you direct The Godfather, The Godfather Two, and Apocalypse Now. I mean, throwing the conversation in there. I might be a snob too if I had that much success in that short span of time. Yeah, but like forty years later. But anyway, whatever. Well, um, I don't know. <laughs> you know, uh, I did see him again. I was in the same vicinity of him at a San Francisco Giants game. They just announced.
announced him and they put the camera on him. And I think uh, my friend pointed out that Roman Coppola, his son, who's also a writer and director, and he wrote the new, uh, he writes a lot of movies with Wes Anderson. He was sitting next to him. Coppola was just looking around like he did not have a clue what was going on or where he was or what's anything. Oh, and they were playing the Godfather theme. Yeah. He was just like, what am I? Where am I? Like, I don't know if he knows much about baseball. But he was, he does live in uh, San Francisco and has connections there. And his winery's not far from there uh, in the Napa Valley area. Uh, but he was at a Giants game that I was at. What part of San Francisco does he live in? The sand part? <laughs> That's a joke between inside we, joke. We always end up mentioning our one friend. Okay, we always end up mentioning him. Yes, that is a joke from a friend of mine who uh, I've been to San Francisco several times over the years, and he went once, and I said, "Oh, what part of San Francisco are you going to?" And he goes, "The sand part." And then I followed up with, "Okay, so you have no idea." <laughs> or I think he had already gone there. I think he went there. I'm like, "Oh, yeah, what part he had of San already Francisco come back. Did you yeah. go to <laughs> the sand part?" So you have no idea. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so that's the director Um, cast obviously Harrison Ford is back as Indiana Jones um, like I said supposedly for the last time Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge who you don't really know from much Um, I've seen her in Fleabag and she was the voice of uh, a droid in Solo Um, but you still haven't seen anything she's really been in no I have not Um, other than this obviously yeah, I guess I should look her up on IMDb. What else she's done uh, besides those two things? Um, she, well, I mean, those are her. Um, oh wow, she, interesting. She was the screenwriter on No Time to Die. Hmm. And I didn't love that movie either. I <laughs> liked it, but didn't love it. Yeah. Uh, Solo. Yeah. Uh, she was in. Uh, his Dark Materials, she produced Killing Eve. I've heard of that show. Okay, so she's done nothing that I really like or care about. Yeah. I'm looking at all her credits. I've heard of most of these, but I... I think you would like Fleabag if you ever saw it, but... I've heard um, it's great. Yeah. Um, it's, it's only got a, one season? Two seasons, and it's got a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, you know the 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes means absolutely nothing to me, but... I no, but it's good, something. Good good for her. No, but it's yeah. something. Okay. Um, so she plays uh, Helena Shaw, who is uh, Indy's goddaughter, um, which we don't, you know, we haven't seen before. But given the time jumps, that kind of makes sense. Um, yeah, that didn't bother me that they're introducing these characters. Uh, no, or, I mean, or there's... Father they're, they're, Toby Jones. Yeah, that didn't bother me that they're introducing these. Because, once again, Den O'Melliot's dead, Sean Connery's dead. Right. Uh, and Rue's retired and, for a very long time, so I'm okay with that. And there's been so much time in between each movie that it'd be silly to think that he doesn't have any other friends or family or, you know, any other, you know, relationships. Well, they throw in one of, or they throw in one of his old friends. Um, Salah, right? Yeah, John uh, Reese Davies. Davies yeah, um, Antonio Banderas plays a, uh, an old friend of his um, in this movie. Has a very short role. Um, mm-hmm. His name is Ronaldo. Uh, John Reese Davies comes back as Sala. Very small role again, kind of like a little cameo. Mm-hmm. Um, Toby Jones is in the beginning, the opening scene as Basil Shaw. 
Um, and then the uh, the bad guys or the villains in this movie, uh, Mads, uh, is it Michelson? Is that how you say his last name? Mickelson, I Mickelson. think. But you could say Michelson. Yeah, Mads Mickelson. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, plays Dr. Voller. Um, and then he has um, a couple henchmen played by Oliver Richters and Boyd Holbrook, who uh, Oliver Richters is just kind of like a big brute in the movie. Um, and Boyd Holbrook, I thought was pretty good. Um, as as he was kind of the main henchman um, and had more dialogue than the other one. Um, yeah, he he is the only other movie I know with him off the top of my head was in the god awful The Predator movie from 2018, direct written and directed by Shane Black. I I mm-hmm. you know how much I love the Predator, the original Predator with Arnold, and I am a fan of Predator too, but. And I was hoping, because Shane Black has, you know, written and directed some fantastic movies like uh, Lethal Weapon and uh, The Last Boy Scout, and a movie mm-hmm. that I've been begging you to watch for years, especially with its similarities to a show that we both like called Barry. you got to see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Rich. It's, it's come on. Yeah, no. Okay, it's fantastic, yeah. But uh, the, the Predator, yeah, he was the lead in that movie, and had the charisma of I don't know a gerbil uh, in fact gerbils are maybe more and you know what I do say that about someone else you know what I don't even remember him in this movie so you're giving him credit I don't even remember him no you don't I remember him he was like the main no. henchman that was like chasing after him on the motorcycle and M- Mads Mickelson is who mattered to me in this movie yeah. I was intrigued by uh, him agreed and he's been a great he's been a very good villain in two uh, you know the, the the fact that he got to be, you know, uh, he's more than adequate as the main villain. He's proven to be very reliable in these types of roles. And like like you and I both briefly mentioned, usually the main antagonists from Indiana Jones movies are not that memorable. Uh, kudos to him for being an impressive villain in both the James Bond and in the Indiana Jones franchises. So I, I was very impressed with him. Yeah, he did great. I, I thought he was great, a great villain in this movie. I thought he was one of the best villains in an Indiana Jones movie. Um, you did say that, and I think I agree with you because we were going back and we we're like, who are these? Other, you know, the other. Yeah, I mean, from? you have. I mean, Belloc is a good villain. Um, He's good, but not great. But not great. Um, yeah. Uh, Mola Ram from um, uh, Temple of Doom, who's Temple hardly Doom. in it. Yeah, hardly yeah. in it, and and I don't know. I just didn't. I don't. Know, I just didn't really care about him. Um, Julian Glover, Walter Donovan from Last Crusade. You don't like him. I like him more, but I, once again, he's not a great. Doing the list of great villains, you, you, Indiana Jones will always be in the top five or ten of great greatest movie heroes of all time. He'll never be in the top of one hundred for greatest movie villains of all time. No. Um, none of them will. In fact, yeah. I would say in two out of the first three movies, the best villain is the object itself that they're chasing after. <laughs> mm, right? Good point. Uh, the good the point. Ark the is a better villain than uh, Belloc. Um, in fact, Belloc is kind of soft at times because he's so, you know, he has a crush on Marion. Um, yeah. You know, and... Um, and then in the third one, you know, the cup or the fake cup kills Donovan, right? Um, and that's quite a scene, yeah. That's yeah. quite a memorable scene. So yeah. um, I mean, but you good also points, have good points. But you also have the Nazis who are the who are villains in the movies as well. In, I at was going to say though, you, you 
Yeah, but also, I think the villain, the guy who's got the bald spot, he burns his hand with the glasses and his face melts, he's more memorable than Belloc. Agreed, yeah. Especially with that And I also think... Yeah, yeah, with the hanger. I also think the um, you could say the same thing about the guy that fights Indy in front of the plane, where Frank Marshall is the pilot. Yeah, uh, he, that well, I forgot that Hal Pat Roach or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Pat Roach. Yep. Yeah, he's pretty memorable in his one scene, more so than Belloc. So yeah, it, it's like a James Bond movie where like Jaws and the Henchman or Odd Job are more memorable than the main villain, sort right. of thing. And and that's fine, um, but I thought Mads Mikkelsen wa- or Mickelson was a, a very good villain for this movie. I was intrigued by him, um, mm-hmm. and, and whenever I he agree. was on the screen, it was very, uh, you know, my attention was was all on him. Um, yeah, I agree. He, so he just he, has that evil look. He has that. He has a he lot does. of charisma and a really good evil look. And he was light years better than probably the best actor or actress to play, ever play a lead villain. In an Indiana Jones movie is Kate Blanchett, and my God, was that might be her worst performance ever in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I didn't even mention her just now thinking, and it wasn't because I intentionally left her out. I didn't even think of her. Like, that that just tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah, that does, but she's also not good, okay? No, she's, not good at all. Um, she did. She was just doing a Natasha from Boris and Natasha in Bullwinkle imperson- impersonation, yeah. I felt, for two and a quarter uh, hours. And... and and let's give her a sword so that she can point that, and they, she can have a sword fight with Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yeah. In the uh, middle yeah, of a jungle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, I mean, that's really the main cast. I mean, there's not a huge cast in this movie. Um, you, you left off Karen Allen. Should you mention her or no? She is in it, yes. Um, she does return um, at the very end of the movie. She is in it, and we'll get to that when we talk about the plot. But yes, she Karen Allen does come back for this movie, uh, as she should, uh, being you know, Indy's wife from the last one. Um, although his son does not come back in the movie and we'll talk about why we'll talk about why that is and how we felt about that. Mm hmm. Um, all right. So not much really to say. I mean, Toby Jones, I don't really have much to say about him. Um, he's in, he's he's a good actor. He's a good actor. He's in this movie for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. Um, and, and you know, that's it. He's in the, the opening scene. Um, all right. So let's get into the movie. Unless there's anything else you want to say about any of the cast or director. No, not particular. Just uh, whenever it comes to Karen Allen, I'll always think of Mo Sislak. Yeah, well, you're no Karen Allen yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, and um, if you want to know that, you got to listen to the other podcast where we do Crystal Skull and I talk about it. Yeah. Um, and John Williams does return, supposedly for his last movie as well, to do the score. Yeah, I feel like I've heard him say that before. Yeah, no, until the, until they decide to do another. I thought Rise of the Skywalker was going to be his last movie at some point, also. So. Yeah, I'm sure. Who knows? Um, all right. So um, now we only saw this once each, um, and it was on opening night. So I didn't take any notes, um, but I do. You know, I'm going to read, kind of go off the plot that that is on Wikipedia just to kind of jog our memories, and then we'll just go from there. Um, all right, so the movie starts out in 1944. Um, first of all, let's start right from the very beginning. In every Indiana Jones movie, it's been the Paramount logo dissolving into some sort of, some sort of a 
mountain or in the last one a molehill <laughs> right mm-hmm, which was um, pretty that was the worst one by far yes um so um uh, i don't know i the 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 third one wasn't great either it went from like it went to like uh in in something in utah right <laughs> Um, that didn't bother, but it was still a mountain. The second it, one was where it was like a gold, a big gold coin with a no, a gong. It. it was a gong. A gong with a mountain on the gong. Yes. It was Which clever, later, yeah. Indiana Jones rolls around, and yeah, yeah that's, that, that's a good scene. So, it, yeah. it was clever. I mean, it can't all dissolve into a mountain. Um, you know, an actual mountain. So I, I thought the second, right. I, had, I had no issue with the second one. The third one is fine, but it's kind of boring. Uh, the fourth mm. one is bad. Because uh, it's, it's got that ugly, the silly, bad CGI groundhog that keeps popping up later on. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal with that was. Um, but hey, he thought about the for fans. the fans, Rich. Yeah, it was for it the was fans. For the fans. I, I forgot how much the fans love uh, prairie dogs. Um, and <laughs> then, um, so this one does not have that because Paramount, I guess, no longer produces these films. Um, so they're owned by Disney. They're owned by Disney. So I was wondering. I thought going into this that it was going to be the Cinderella castle or whatever castle shows in, you know, in the beginning of the Disney logo. I thought that was going to dissolve into a castle. Um, hmm. But it didn't. That's a better idea than what we got. Yeah, so what we got was the Lucasfilm logo um, dissolving into a lock of a castle door, right? So they could have just done a castle, but um, I guess it's kind of what it was. Yeah, your idea is better, Rich. Fire, <laughs> fire Kathleen Kennedy. Put Rich in charge of Disney. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, we don't have the Paramount logo anymore. We have the Lucasfilm logo going into the lock of a castle where, uh, from what I remember, Indiana Jones is hooded. Well, you don't even know it's him, but there's some quick dialogue. Um, this whole scene moved very fast for me. I was trying to keep up with what was happening. Um, but then, you know, he has a hood on. And eventually he is unmasked as a younger, not young, but younger Indiana Jones, um, which I thought looked great in that shot, um, given the fact that it was de-aging and, and CGI and all that. Um, but what got me right from the start was the second he opened his mouth, he looked like he was in his late 40s, maybe early 50s, which timeline-wise makes sense. Um, because it was the it was it was during the end of World War II, which was uh, I think Last Crusade was thirty eight, so it was about seven years after Last Crusade, mm. uh, and it looked like it. You know, he lo- he didn't look as young as he did in Last Crusade. But he didn't look as old as he did in Crystal Skull, which made sense. Um, but his voice sounded like he was eighty, um, and that <laughs> bugged that bugged me right from the start, and, and kind of took me out of it because I could I I could not just ignore the fact that he sounded like he was eighty. And looked like he was late forties, fifties, early fifties. You didn't. I that didn't bother you. Saying though. that, yeah. Right? I remember you saying that. I, you know what? I didn't notice it until you said it. But you know what? If I was to watch it again, I'm sure that I would notice it, and I, I might be like, well, Rich was right. Um, but you know what? Also, I was surprised it didn't. The de aging really looked good. It didn't bother me. It wasn't a distraction. You know, no, um, it, it, in the it, same vein as the Irishman. Yeah. So they did a good job with that. And the the scene, the, you know, the opening prologue kind of sets up, you know, the rest of the movie and, and everything, which is fine. Um, I I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. 
Um, I thought the movie was I felt better. That way also, yeah, yeah I, I thought the movie got better after it. To be honest, um, I thought that if the whole movie went the way that one did, the the first 10, 15 minutes did, I was like, "Oh, we're gonna be in for a long ride." Um, but yeah, um, it, it yeah, it, it did get better from there. So I thought it wasn't wasn't. It, I don't know. It just felt like there was so much happening. You couldn't really tell geographically what was going on and where they were. And then they're on a train and and. And there's guns. Yeah. It's dark, and I know I am assuming it was at night to hide some of the CGI and, and make better use of shadows and stuff. Um, Probably um, because, like I said, his face is is the age the entire time during this opening scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it it never bothered me. It looked better in some spots than others, but I was really focusing on it to see how good they did it. So had I not been focusing so hard on it, um, I, it probably would have been even better uh but it wasn't bad and i I thought he looked good for the most part there were a few times where it looked a little shaky as as the aging does um Mm. but but not but not terrible um and and overall just in in general and i'm I'm gonna you know jump ahead a little bit here but the cgi in this movie in general looked pretty good and i had read some of the early reviews i read i tried not to read anything with spoilers but some of the things i read um were saying that it was very reliant on cgi which it, it maybe it was but it didn't it was nowhere near as bad as crystal skull um i was it, about to say at least if it was reliant on it the cgi did not look as bad as the crystal skull first of all crystal skull cgi especially the swinging from the tree scene that looked like that was cgi from 1998 i mean independence day had better cgi than that movie it, it looked like okay, a, car- a cartoon at times it looked horrendous. It looked... Which, first of all, at the time, CGI had never been in an Indiana Jones movie, okay? Because it didn't exist, really, or wasn't mm-hmm. used at all in 1989's Last Crusade, the most recent one. So, to have any CGI, at first, I was going to be just, like, appalled if they were going to use any. And then they give us that, and it was just like, oh, my God, what were they thinking? But like you said, Rich, it was for the fans. Um, yeah, yeah. The first, the first action set piece itself, it doesn't meet the standard. I think for what a great first action scene should be. Think of the recent James Bond movies that have amazing opening action scenes. Mm-hmm. You know that really suck you in, pull you in. It was, but I do agree with you. It was well shot. It had the right staging, and even with ample surprises around the corner, you know, people getting hit and stuff on the train, it still managed to feel predictable, which isn't good. Um, and and the whole train scene, you haven't seen the original Mission Impossible, the first one with Tom Cruise. If you want to see a great action scene on a train, check out the first Mission Impossible, the finale of that movie with a helicopter and a train going into a tunnel. I was thinking of that as I was watching this, and it just doesn't meet that standard also from way back in 1996. Um, I kept thinking, so at one point they end up on the top of the train, and I kept thinking about, um, and you probably don't even remember this, but do you remember the beginning of Top Secret also starts off on top of a train? Vaguely. And uh, is it it with Omar Sharif? Yes. Okay, then yes, I do remember it. And uh, there's a bridge coming up, and he knows that the the German is going to be hit by the bridge, so he like ducks, and then uh, they go through the bridge, and the bridge actually collapses, and the German doesn't move at all. (laughs) 
I don't remember that, but I yeah. do remember liking Top Secret. But, I just don't know it as well as. But you. that made me uh, that that reminded me of that where you know he's he, he's they're coming up on a bridge and the the German doesn't know and so he doesn't duck and he just goes straight through the bridge and the, the bridge collapses and he's fine. <laughs> um, but um, That's, I yeah. you know what I am remembering it now <laughs> as you say it. Yeah, that is. <laughs> yeah, just silly nonsense. But um, yeah, so um. A lot happens in that opening scene, um, but um, all right. So I'm just going to kind of read it, and then I'll <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Hold on, <coughs> sorry. Um, all right. So as they attempt to retrieve the lance of Long Longinus, I don't know, some sword, right? They were after, <laughs> right? Uh, at a castle in the French Alps. Um, uh, Dr. Voller informs his superiors that the lance is fake, but he has found the Archimedes dial, uh, or half of it, right? Because the at this time the Nazis were kind of um, pillaging castles and, and taking all these art, taking art and artifacts and everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. So um, he he uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character informs the his superior that um, the lance they have, which Hitler apparently wanted. Uh, they were out getting this lance for Hitler. Uh, was fake, so Hitler would be furious. Um, but he did find half of uh, the um, this Archimedes dial, um, which reveals time fissures and allows for the possibility of time travel. Um, Indiana Jones escapes onto a train filled with the looted antiquities, and he frees his friend who was captured, Basil, played by uh, Toby Jones. Um, he obtains the dial piece from um, Mads Mikkelsen's character, and they leap from the train just before the Allied forces uh, derail it. Um, so there's a lot going on in that scene. Some of it visually was great. Some of it was like, I don't know what's happening here. It's too dark. Um, mm-hmm. For me, anyway. Um, I agree. No, I agree with that. Yeah, so... Um, that's all to set up that, um, A, Mads Mikkelsen's character is obsessed with this dial and knows what it is and what it can be used for, and B, that Harrison Ford and Toby Jones end up with the half of the dial. Um, anything I'm missing from that? Uh, that pretty much sums up the No, right? I don't think so, but can you try saying the word that they called the dial? I can't pronounce it. Um, Antithrica? No, Antic. Antikythera, something like that, right? Yeah, that sounds. A- Antikythera, sounds something like that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But apparently, it's a real thing. Um, I don't know that it actually reveals uh, fissures, but I, I mean, all of all of the Indiana Jones uh, MacGuffins, which they're called, or, or things, are, are all based in some reality um, in terms of them being legit things. Maybe not having the powers. At least, yeah. That they supposedly yeah, yeah. have in a in biblical the film. sense, yeah. 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 Uh, but they are at least somewhat grounded in in, in, in reality. Um, so now we're in, in 1969, and the movie uh, he, Indiana Jones wakes up to a Beatles song. Right? Did you remember? Did you notice that? Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. I think it was. Um, oh, 
which uh, I do think you want me to tell you what it was? I, I rem- yeah, Magical Mystery Tour. Yeah. Magical Mystery Tour. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know now he's he he's shirt. Well, he's in his underwear, right? Um, so he looks mm-hmm. old. You know, in the last one he yeah, had showing his shirt off, off his his chest, showing off his yeah. He's yeah. eighty, but uh, still but, but still looks good his, for eighty. But but he clearly does. looks, he looks very good for eighty. Yes. Um, yes. I remember in Crystal Skull they're like scrubbing him down after the you know after he survives a nuclear blast. Um, to scrubbing the radiation off of him, <clears throat> and he had, uh, excuse me, he had his uh, shirt off, and he still looked like really good, like he was like jacked in that movie. Um, here he looks his age, um, but uh, yeah, so he's you know he's a grumpy old man basically. Uh, lives in New York mm-hmm. City. He retires from uh, Hunter College. We find out that Marion has divorced him. Or filed for divorce, um, and then it's also it's later revealed um, that Mutt, their son, uh, died in the Vietnam War, leaving him depressed and uh, alienated, um, and and that being the reason why him and Marion have uh, separated. Mm-hmm. Um, his goddaughter, who is uh, Toby Jones's character, well, well, wait, how daughter, did you feel? How did you feel about that whole? You you just said a lot of loaded things. Yeah, um, I. How did you feel about the way they dealt with it or lack thereof? So they kind of at first you hear on the from what I remember, first you hear on a news broadcast that he lost his son, but they don't tell you how, and then later it's revealed that he lost his son during the war or. Or, you know, he said, if I could go back in time, I would prevent my son from enlisting. And I, th- I think uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character says, how would you do that? Um, and he says, uh, you know, I would tell him that uh, it would, you know, that he would be, that it would cost him his life and, and you know, m- cause me and his mother to split up and all that. Um, so how did I feel about it? Um, well, first of all, why did he die? Um, because Shia LaBeouf is an idiot, right? And talked a lot of crap about Steven Spielberg and Indiana Jones. Oh, that, why after, they wrote him off? Yes. Not the character. Not the no. character. Okay. The, well, we yeah, don't know. Yeah, we don't know his character yeah. off. Yeah. Yes, no. that's he, that's shot why in they Vietnam, wrote him. like millions of other people, uh, sadly died. Okay, yeah, but okay. right, but right. I'm not saying why his character. I'm not saying his character was an idiot. I, we don't know how he was killed in Vietnam. Um, but I'm just saying the reason. Sh- the character's not in it is because of Shia LaBeouf. I mean, let's be honest. Um, had he not yeah. been, you know, such an idiot and talked, I don't know if you knew this, but he basically talked a lot of crap on Spielberg mm-hmm. and Indiana Jones in general after the last one and kind of, you know, alienated himself. Um, so there was no chance he. We was talked about this last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't, you don't, you know, say bad things about Steven Spielberg to the press, right? Okay, uh, because. It, even, I mean, I've read that the movie Hook was a nightmare. I, for whatever reason, huge cast, and no one got along with anybody, allegedly. Mm-hmm. But, once again, this is all allegedly. Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, and I think Julia Roberts was the most difficult I've read. Mm. 
all very successful before that movie, all very successful since that movie. None of them came out and ripped apart each other or Steven Spielberg in the press. Okay, so, right. uh, yeah, they were smart enough not to do that, and they went their separate ways. They never crossed paths again, but, you know, are very, very successful, you know, after that, you know, movie, which was a horrible experience for them to make. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Shia LaBeouf made that mistake, and, uh, yeah... Uh, just, just not a classy, smart thing to do, and especially because say what you want about Spielberg, you know, and his his directorial decisions with Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or even other movies. I think he's a good, decent person. I think he's yeah. a nice, you know, decent, classy guy to work with. I don't think he's. A, I've never heard stories of him being an egomaniac or a terror on the set like I've heard about Hitchcock or Kubrick. Or uh-huh. David O. Russell being an egomaniacal, you know, mm-hmm. nutcase on the set. I've never heard that about Spielberg. So he certainly right. could be if anyone wants... Or James Cameron, I've heard, is extremely difficult to work with James Cameron. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that about Spielberg. If anything, I've heard the opposite. He's nice, he's easygoing, he's fun, he's, you know... So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, so, that's, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, my general feelings about the whole thing were... Uh, it it could have been used better as a plot device or as a backstory for the character. Um, Absolutely. It was Absolutely. kind of just like thrown out there and it was part of the plot, but it, you know, it was kind of like why he is the way he is now. And he's, you know, basically, yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking about this and, and, you know, he's not himself in the movie. He's not Indiana Jones. And the whole movie is about him kind of getting getting back to being that person, um, and this is just mm, one of the reasons. Good way of looking at it. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. This is just one of the reasons why he's not that person anymore. It could have been the only reason, right? I mean, that would be enough for me to not be the same person. Um, if your son died. Yeah, right. God, that's an awful thing. Yeah, but but it's yeah. but it's kind of just like part of it, and it's just kind of like thrown out there at times, and and dealt with a little laissez-faire i guess um that's a very good i agree with you a hundred percent it was felt like shoddy forced screenplay 101 moments and indiana jones deserves better harrison ford certainly is a capable actor he deserves better and could mm-hmm. do better and we deserve better if anything it diminished the vietnam war it diminished losing a son yeah losing a wife separating from a wife it, it diminished you know, all the, the trend, there have been movies based around, uh, it made me think, what would have happened if Oliver Stone directed this movie? <laughs> okay, like, mm-hmm. uh, like it really just diminished everything. Or even, even Steven Spielberg, I would love, and I have nothing against James Mangold, and, and I think he did a fine job with this movie, directing it, um, but I, I'm, I would love to see the, like, a Spielberg take on it. Um, not as Spielberg can do human elements maybe yes. better than James. He can do better than almost anybody. I mean, look at E.T. for crying out right. loud. Okay, so he is. Look at Steven Spielberg. Yes, he's known for big sci-fi spectacles, but you know, think about the best scene in Jaws may be Quint's story about the USS Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Okay, those he's very good at you know human dialogue and you know interactions and things like that so yeah it would have been very interesting to see how he dealt with at least that element of the movie and i'm sure he would have done well like you said no disrespect to james mangold i'm sure he would have done a better job than james mangold Mm -hmm. um yeah um so um 
at this around so in the you know pretty early on in in the 1969 timeline we meet um phoebe waller bridge's character who is basil shaw toby jones's character's uh daughter which makes her um indiana jones's goddaughter um she visits claiming she wants to research the archimedes dial that they had that her and her father had found that he and her father had found so long ago um jones tells her that uh her father nearly went insane trying to decipher it and um gave indiana jones the dial to destroy which at first he says he did but then she knows that he actually didn't um i don't know that was a little confusing in the beginning um in terms of like what he thought happened or what she thought happened to it they were going to go to some location and find it or something and then he goes no i actually have it here i actually never destroyed it um so then he goes to retrieve it meanwhile um she's being followed i guess by a cia agent um who is working with mads michelson's character who's working under an alias of dr schmidt uh he works for nasa he helped us get into space and land on the moon um so there's a lot happening right <laughs> um, yes, yeah that's a good way of putting it this does move fast it feels more like a pierce brosnan james bond movie at times than it does an indiana jones movie yeah it moves very fast there were a couple murders which i was surprised about because that's not characteristic for an indiana jones movie right no a murder murder of innocents and witnesses in cold blood yeah, yes so. witnesses in cold blood exactly um so, one of my fears was like... Yeah, like, think about they'll knock him out like they did in Last Crusade. They just knock him out, you know. Right. And, and that's so, so him. one of my fears was, of this movie, was... Because in a lot of the promotional shots, I saw that Indiana Jones does not have a, a holster or a gun on his belt like he had in every other movie, including Crystal Skull. Hmm. Um, I didn't so, notice that. So, he didn't have that in this one. And, I, and after seeing the movie, I kind of get why. Um, but... I was thinking in my head, oh, well, they don't want to have Indiana Jones need to have to need a gun, right? They don't want to make the hero need a gun, and guns are bad, and, you know, and I get that. Um, but then I saw all these killings, and I'm like, well, this is this is terrible. <laughs> this is not a kid movie. I was afraid it was going to be a, a, a more kid-centric movie. I don't think this is a kid-centric movie at all. Um, That's a good thing to be worried about in 2023. Yeah. Um, you know, because I feel Especially because like Disney... Exactly. Think about what Disney has done to Spider-Man, what they've right. done to Star Wars. Even uh, I don't, they, Disney doesn't own Ninja Turtles, but I feel like go back and watch the Ninja Turtles from when we were kids compared to the newer Ninja Turtles movies from, I don't know, ten, five, ten years ago. Wow, did they dumb those movies down for six- and seven-year-olds even more so than mm-hmm. the movies that we saw when we were six or seven years old when the first Ninja Turtles movies came out. Um, so, yeah, that's a good fear to have. I never thought about that, what you're complaining about. But, uh, yeah, no, this is... It, one of its flaws is certainly not that they dumb it down and, you know, make it like the Spider-Man movies. I keep... Each time they recast Spider-Man, I feel like they're aiming for a younger and younger demographic and I, it's Spider-Man for crying out loud, okay? Like, it was mm-hmm. good enough for little kids when Tobey Maguire did it, I think. But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um. So, um. Yeah. Some. So there's some. You know. Some cold blood killings, like you said. Um, do you want to tell them? Do you want to tell our listeners what I was the most afraid of? 
You were most afraid that uh, that Phoebe Waller Bridge was going to kind of take the reins from Indiana Jones and and be Indiana Jones, I guess, right? Or something along those lines. Yes, exactly. I was afraid because it's 2023. And after the last James Bond movie, where they kind of touch on this a little bit, I was afraid that you can't have an old white man be the lone hero of the movie. And so I felt he, once again, Harrison Ford is 80, so let's, mm-hmm. you know, not deny that he can't do things he could even do when he was 60. Uh, so uh, I was afraid that they were going to sort of make Indiana Jones and grumpy old man, you know, <laughs> I think he's mm-hmm. older than Walter Matthau was when Walter Matthau passed away. All right. So um, <laughs> I'm serious. Okay, I don't think that, I think him and Jack Lemon both died in their 70s. I could be wrong. But uh anyway, uh, I was worried that he was going to just sort of take a back seat and they were going to let the uh, woman take over and, and run the show. And I'm glad that I was wrong. Um, we could talk about Phoebe Waller-Bridge later on, but that was what I was afraid of the most is that it's 2023. You can't have a white man, you know, be the front and center sole hero of a big mainstream blockbuster action movie Mm -hmm. so i was just a little concerned about that but not that you know it has anything with race but it's indiana jones okay indiana jones shouldn't need to answer to political correctness he should Mm -hmm. just be killing nazis that's all okay and saving artifacts because they belong in museums uh so that's what i was i was worried about the most is that you know they were disney was gonna say you know ooh, you you can't be good because you're old and white and we need you know fresh new blood to take over the reins because shia labeouf isn't good enough because he's young and white so i was concerned about that but that ends up you know not being the case because phoebe waller bridge's character for better for worse she's sort of the new way of thinking. He's old school. He's, Mm -hmm. you know, he still has the same traditions and values that Indiana Jones has always had, even though he's gone through trauma, losing his son and his marriage falling apart. He's still fighting the good fight when it comes to history and archaeology. She doesn't care about that. She will sell anything to the highest bidder so she's all about cash she's all about money so she's the next generation she's sort of like i guess the baby boomers i don't know the the you know what would become the me 80s coming up if if they went that far but um so i I was relieved that my greatest fear was that she was going to be the hero and he was just going to be uh you know an old man that she has to save Mm mm-hmm that didn't really happen. And it, when it, when we do get to the plot, when it does happen that she does save him, it's kind of funny and kind of like a, almost a you know after, matter of fact moment. It's not like, you know, oh, what a great hero she is because she's not. Okay, he's yeah. clearly made to be the hero in this movie. She's just in it for the money and maybe she has a heart too. Yeah, and, and well, and we in the beginning we don't know that, and then we find out that she's in it for the money, and then yeah, she her character arc goes back to eventually having a heart, and um, but yeah, we'll get to that. Um, so yeah. as they retrieve the dial from the college archives, Voler's accomplices attack them. Voler now working for NASA under the alias Doctor Schmidt is assisted by the CIA. Helena is is an antiquity smuggler. She uh, absconds with the dial to auction it on the black market. Um, Jones is framed for his two colleagues' murders, which we talked about. 
He escapes and seeks out his old friend Sala, who is now a cab driver, and helps Jones flee the country. But before that, uh, there is a, a chase during a, a moon landing ticker tape parade, um, and which leads into the subways of New York. What did you think about that scene? It was better than the other chase scene that was, you know, with the digital de-aging. But yes. I still didn't think it was a great chase. Scene. It wasn't. It was fine. I thought the one of the it was bright, fine. There you go. One of the bright spots of Crystal Skull was the chase around the college campus um, in that movie, which I think took place at Yale. Um, that's where they shot it. Um, yeah, I didn't love that chase scene. Either. I liked that one. I thought that was good. Disrespects I, Marcus Brody, but then again, at the end of it, disrespected yeah. him too. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, I did like that. Uh, that that at least in that movie that felt like a classic Indiana Jones. This one was just fine. Um, again, he's eighty and and it shows. Um, but it was good enough. I mean, he was on a horse, so uh, I could still kind of picture him riding, being able to ride a horse. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so now they they end up in Tangier. Um, this is when we are introduced to um, Teddy Kumar is the character's name. I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head. Um, and, and he wasn't in the list when I read them before. Um, but he is a uh, – how old do you think he is? Like 14, 15 maybe? Um, he's kind oh, of yeah, like, that little kid. Yeah, yeah he's okay. kind of like uh, Helena's sidekick who is – I wouldn't call her Jones a sidekick. I mean, they do work together at times, um, but she's kind of has her own agenda throughout the most of the movie. Um, so Jones thwarts Helena during an illegal auction, um, but Voller and his henchmen arrive and steal the artifact. Um, Jones, Helena, and her teen sidekick, Teddy, join forces and chase them through the streets in a tuk-tuk. Um, the CIA apprehends Voller after the U.S. government disavows him for going rogue and orders him he be terminated, but Voller's cohorts murder the agents and steal the helicopter. Um, again, that was another like kind of like violent scene where I was like, oh, wow, they're really not <laughs> pulling out any stops here. That and when they kill uh, Antonio Banderas' character. I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Yeah, so. that was kind of brutal. Cause shocking. Yeah. I guess it was good that they had a big star in that role because you don't think he's going to die. He comes in halfway yeah. through the movie and you don't think he's going to die. But then he's only in the movie for, what, 15 minutes tops? Yeah. He gets killed. I mean, it's, it's yeah, not that it's a brutal, bloody killing, but... Yeah, it's pretty. It's cold blooded. This movie has some uh, very, yeah. you know, cold blooded kills in it, and yeah. Um, Jones, Helena, and Teddy trail Voller to Greece, and that's where they team up with Jones's old friend, Ronaldo, a professional diver. They have to dive to an ancient shipwreck in the um, to retrieve the tablet that tells you how to get to the dial's other half. Uh, they they track. What did down. you think of that scene? What did you think of that scene right there? Because I, I talked about how that was the the equivalent of the snakes in Raiders, the bugs in Temple of Doom, the rats in Last Crusade, and I totally forgot. Remind everyone, Rich, you told me when, uh, what was the the creature scene in the fourth movie? Uh, killer ants. Killer ants, yeah. Yes. So now in this movie, it is tell everyone what it is and tell us what you thought of this. I guess some sort of like eel, right? And it was an eel, but I, I thought it was, it was eels. Yeah, yeah eels. eels. I don't know if it was a special kind of eel, but um, uh, I don't know. I thought it was fine. I mean, 
this was a scene where I was like, all right, I, I'm having trouble believing that this 80-year-old guy is deep-sea diving. Um, you know, that that was like... It, it, to me, it would have been better if he was up on the boat because he really didn't have to be down there for this, uh, but whatever. That's true. Um, yeah. But I guess it's good that he wasn't because all the people on the boat ended up getting killed. Um, yeah. But yeah, they go, they do some deep sea diving and have to get this this thing that tells you where the other half of the um, of the dial is. Um, there are eels there. I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it either. What did you think? I agree 100% with you. It was not as good as any of the creature scenes from the first three movies, but significantly better than the ants from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yes, that, like, crawl into a guy's mouth and eat him alive and, yeah. Um, It also felt faster than those other scenes. It was very fast. It it did feel kind of rushed, which is a lot... This movie felt a little rushed at times. At times it didn't, but at times it did. For a movie that... I don't think we can talk about this. 154-minute runtime is not a short movie. Um, Yet it did feel kind of rushed at times. And it felt long at times, too. Right. Some, Some scenes felt rushed with the plot... But then other scenes, just like I think the first 20 minutes or so, that opening action scene, I was, you know, looking at my watch or my cell phone, the equivalent of looking at your watch nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like, okay, what's, what's this felt? Yeah. And it didn't need to be as long as it is, but that's a, you know, casualty of, you know, being a movie made in 2023. It mm-hmm. has to be at least two and a half hours nowadays. Yeah, and I think that opening scene um, was just kind of like a way to get Indiana Jones to to see Indiana Jones do action that's believable since you know the, for the majority of the movie he you know you wouldn't believe that he was you know jump running around on top of trains and stuff like that um, yeah that's a good point so yeah. I get why they did it but it, it did seem long um, mm. but uh, yeah so um Voller arrives soon after. He kills Ronaldo and chases Jones's group to Sicily. Um, I thought the scene where Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Mads Mikkelsen are working together, although she they're really not because she's kind of leading him astray. I thought that was a pretty good scene. Um, you know where she's like, I I just wish she had. I don't know. I didn't believe her. I didn't think. I, I didn't think this would be a case where, you know, you need a bigger star. This would be a case where, you know what, we talk, I'm just throwing this name out there because she's fresh in my mind, we mentioned her before, Kate Blanchett could have done this part and it mm-hmm. would have been better. I'm naming a great actress who's won two Oscars, that sort of thing, but this is where you need a maybe a Scarlett Johansson. A you know Angelina Jolie, Reese Witherspoon, someone with a little more charisma to mm-hmm. that could actually believably handle scenes with Harrison Ford. So yeah, I just didn't think she was. She just seemed lucky to be there. She didn't mm-hmm. have any charisma. Maybe Fleabag is great. I need to see her in that, and then maybe I'll think totally different of her and appreciate her more for this movie. But I did not think she had the charisma to share the screen or the gravitas or the uh, anything to share the screen with Harrison Ford. I was not impressed with Phoebe Waller-Bridge 
at all. And mm-hmm. when she was meant to carry scenes, she didn't. And Rich, I know you love Harrison Ford probably more than I do, but can we just talk about how great he if anyone doubts Harrison Ford's a great actor, if you paid attention to this movie from beginning to end and were even remotely entertained, can we just acknowledge that one of the main reasons is because of Harrison Ford's performance? Yeah, he's great in it. He he knows this role. He could play this role in his sleep probably. Um, yeah, he's great in I, he's great in every every Indiana Jones movie. Um, the movies might not all be great, but he is always great in them. Um, and I guess you know you kind of take that for granted now mm-hmm. uh, with him, but um, you know you shouldn't because it does, it's not any easier as as, as you get older and. Uh, he still always brings it to this role, and and this case is no different. And yeah, he he as with every as with all the movies, and and you know maybe some more than others, but this movie is on his back, right? Yeah, he carries this movie on his shoulders exactly, and I I, I think he's terrific. I think he's you know great in this, and uh, when when you list great actors of his generation, you list De Niro, Pacino. Gene Hackman, you don't often list Harrison Ford as one of the greatest actors, and I think one of the reasons why may be sort of like Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt, his looks, you know, Mm -hmm. he's more conventionally handsome than those other men that I just mentioned, or other, you know, great actors of his generation, Dustin Hoffman, uh, perhaps, but uh, also... I think his career, because he's been so successful, maybe also like Tom Cruise, he's been incredibly successful with the Star Wars movies, the, you know, Indiana Jones movies, uh, he's the best big screen Jack Ryan with Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. I think he's, and he's admitted to it, that yeah, he doesn't pick projects to work with, you know, Mm -hmm. to take a great part to challenge himself. He goes by the paycheck. He goes by what's going to make the most money or what he thinks will make him the most money. He's a sellout. He said he's a sellout. And I think because people view him as that, they dismiss his ability. But this movie, you should not dismiss his ability as a great actor. Uh, you, You really shouldn't. And in between his big hits and some of his biggest hits... He's given terrific performances. Do you, Rich? Do you, we've talked about this before? Do you remember my favorite performance of uh, Harris in, with Harrison Ford? I don't remember. The Fugitive. Okay. I mean, yeah, he's great. a terrific actor in that. I loved him in Blade Runner. I think he should have got an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor in 42, a more recent movie in his career, So, uh, where he plays Branch Rickey, uh, the Jackie Robinson story. Uh, he's a really good actor who maybe because of his success... Mm-hmm. He doesn't get the same, you know, respect and that sort of thing. And Oscar nominations just don't come to him because he's had so many other things come so easily to him, meaning mm-hmm. money. So, uh, you know, but really, he's the reason this movie works. He's 90% of the reason why I cared about anything that happened in mm-hmm. this movie was his performance. So, Yeah. Um, all right, so this is when the movie kind of hit. It gets a little boring, I guess. Um, now they go into some cavern, and uh, Indiana Jones and Helena find the tomb. They you know they they end up figuring out where Archimedes' tomb is. 
Uh, he has the dial second half in his hand, uh, and it also has a modern-day wristwatch, um, which they're very confused about. And um, the uh, his his coffin has a phoenixes on it, but the phoenixes have propellers. Um, so they're very confused by that too. Why? Because planes weren't, you know, obviously weren't invent- anywhere near invented at, at the time of his death. Um, which this we, part felt like Crystal Skull to me. Yeah, a little bit. Um, uh, Voler appears. He captures Jones. They shoot Indiana Jones in kind of like the shoulder area. Um, mm-hmm. He gets the dial, and he plans to travel back to 1939, not to, uh, well, to get Germany to win the war, but but to do that by actually assassinating Hitler himself. And then taking over and fixing the mistakes that Hitler made. Um, So I thought that was kind of an interesting take. Um, And lead Germany to victory in World War II. So then, uh, you know, this giant, this old plane comes out. um, And all these, you know, Germans that uh, are in Nazi uniforms again um, are, are there and they all get on this plane and they're going to use the dial to fly into a time fissure to go back to 1939 and uh, change history. Uh, Jones, Indiana Jones is held captive and goes on the plane with them. Helena is able to uh, stow away in the landing gear. During the movie, Jay, I was going to tell you that that's exactly how Dave Chappelle got killed in Con Air. <laughs> yes. Didn't he get Were sucked really in? The, that? I swear to God, I was. Uh, he, <laughs> he got funny. he got sucked into the landing gear, um, yep, and, and, I, I, and I know. that's how she gets onto the plane through the landing gear. Um, and Teddy follows them in a stolen plane because he somehow knows how to fly. Um, <laughs> I mean, they kind of tell you how, and it's a, you know yeah. a little cheap, but whatever. I agree. Once again, screenplay one hundred and one yeah. shoddiness. Yeah. The kid to me meant absolutely nothing. I was never afraid. There were no high stakes with him. Right. He was just a plot contrivance so they could have someone else help them when they needed to have help. Right. So he follows them in, in a in a stolen plane, and the guy that the pilot was sleeping in the back of the plane. So he ends up. Uh, so I guess that way they could say that you know someone that knows how to fly is actually on the plane too. Um, yeah. The fissure leads them back in time. Now, this is this. Is, so, I, I I went into this movie pretty much spoiler free. You were spoiled that his his son was dead. I knew he wasn't in the movie. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know he was dead, um, and I didn't really know any spoilers. Um, so, this ending, I was all in on. I mean, I couldn't believe it was happening, and not in a bad way. Um, I was just like, wow, they really are going for this, and and. Uh, so the fissure leads them to the siege of Syracuse in 212 BC, which is spoken about earlier in the movie when Indiana Jones does his standard classroom scene. Um, mm-hmm. But um, it, it is the Roman siege of Syracuse, so the Roman army is is uh, uh, it, it is very active in this scene, um, and they are uh, they think the plane is a dragon, which I thought was clever. Um, because, you know, they're in this plane and, 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 you know, then they realize, you know, the, the Germans realize that they made a mistake and that they're not going back to 1939, uh, and that they're well before that 212 BC. Um, 
eventually the plane crashes and kills you know the uh, the one thing as great of a, a villain as i thought michael mickelson was in this movie uh, his death was kind of just like, meh. I mean, the plane just crashed. Yeah, I kind of forgot about yeah. it, actually, yeah, until you mentioned it. But I will agree with you with what you said. Once they do this, and you can tell that the ships are from another time period, literally, the you know Roman Empire, I was like, okay, wow, let's see where they go. And I bought it. I bought for the, I thought the ending, the climactic, this scene that we're talking about, I'm 100% with you. I think I'm on the same page with you. I, it's a, they threw a Hail Mary pass and it worked. Mm hmm. I agree. Um, I, I didn't know where or how this, how it was going to go. And, and I thought this was a clever way and I was, I was into it much less so than the aliens in the last movie where I was like, what? This is what they decided to do. Like, this one I was like, wow, they, kind of got me in here like uh, i was pleasantly surprised yeah. um yeah i agree and i i you if you remember i i turned to my friend when i saw that in theater i said hey oh my god they're ripping off predator 2 yeah. and he was already still so mad because uh they were spitting on his childhood with shia labeouf <laughs> swinging from the yeah. vines um so uh, Archimedes does appear. He finds Voler's body and takes the wristwatch from the wreckage, which explains how he had one in his grave and also how he, um, why there were propellers on the birds um, on his coffin. Um, Jones and Helena parachute before the plane crashes. Uh, Teddy lands his plane safely. Um he give uh, Archimedes comes. He gives Jones the dial, but fascinated with the watch, keeps it. Um, Jones and Helena learn that Archimedes created the dial solely to bring users from the future to 212 BC, um, because he need they he wanted or he felt they needed help um, because of you know just to stop the Roman invasion, um, which the the plane coming in they do shoot a lot of the. Roman army, so I guess that does that you know, in a way they did come and help. Um mm -hmm. Indiana Jones, as the time fissure begins collapsing, Helena assists that insists that they leave. Um, but wounded and despondent, Jones wants to remain behind, feeling he has nothing left to return to. Um Helena gives up refuses to give up on him and punches him in the face to knock him out so that they can use Teddy's stolen plane to fly back to 1969 through the time fissure. Uh, a recovering Jones awakens in his apartment. Uh, he is reunited with Helena and Teddy and Sala. Marion arrives. Uh, there's a callback scene there where he says that everything hurts or she says that everything hurts. Uh, and then, you know, call back to a scene in Raiders where she says, where he, you know, he tells her to kiss where it does hurt. Uh, in mm -hmm. this in this scene, uh, he kisses where it doesn't hurt, um, and you know it's a cute little callback to that scene. I agree. I thought that was a nice scene. I yeah. Um, and then um, just to prove that he is indeed back as Indiana Jones, um, the closing shot is of his hat hanging up on a clothespin outside his apartment and it kind of zooms in or, or you know circles in right on the hat and then you see his hand an iris you would call that iris, like an iris. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then his hand comes out and snatches the hat and pulls it back in signifying that he is 
back to becoming the old Indiana Jones that he once was, and he is not, um, you know, he's kind of uh, moved on from being the, you know, being the, uh, like you said, traumatized by the events um, that happened mm-hmm. between the last movie and this movie. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is it. Um, so um, I thought that... So first of all, the on, on Rotten Tomatoes. So when this movie for the premiered it in Cannes, and uh, that's an interesting choice for them to do, um, but it got horrible reviews to start with. Not horrible, horrible, but pretty, pretty bad. It was around the fifty percent mark on Rotten Tomatoes at first for a while. Then it, when it mm-hmm. eventually debuted here, uh, it quickly shot up. Currently, it stands at. Uh, either 68 or 69 percent with critics and 88 percent with the audience. Um, so it it is fresh. So now. it's considered fresh. It's yes. not uh, okay. It's not rotten. Okay. No, it's it was for a while, but now it is fresh, um, and the audience score is 88 percent. Um, so yeah, 68 percent for critics, 88 percent audience. Um, I, my thoughts are. I I enjoyed it much more than than the last movie. I didn't hate anything about it. I think it played it safe at times and checked its boxes and learned from the mistakes of the last movie. And and yeah, but uh, also like you said, they kill a lot of innocent bystanders in cold blood. That's they never do. Been done in Indiana Jones. No, movies, no, so they, that's not playing it safe in some regards. Not in right. No, it plays it safe in regards to um, they're not going to do anything silly or. Yeah, there was no yeah. scene that was. Yeah, silly. nothing outlandish. Yeah. No chilled monkey brains. Right. No swinging from vines. No right. aliens flying away. Although that they do take a hail mary pass going for it, you know, with the uh, Battle of Syracuse and the time travel, so. and and pull it off too, which which I was very and surprised they do pull about. it off, which is yeah very surprising. Um, yeah. so I I don't think this movie is a real big mistake at all. Um, I, I I'm curious to see it again. Um, and see how this movie goes with a second viewing now that I'll be able to kind of take it all in um, mm. and, and see where I lie. But I don't think I'll ever – I don't think I'll hate this movie. I may not like it as much. Um, but it's still – you know, it's still – it's still not up there with the original three. I'm not going to say it is. Um, but it's a better uh, entry than the last one. Um mm. Did it need to be made? No, but neither did the last one. So, um, you know, at at that point, they already kind of, like I said, they already ruined the the good ending of the original trilogy. So, um, to me, it it was a a good uh, entry into the the franchise. It didn't ruin anything. It didn't piss on my childhood, as your friend would say. (laughs) Um, Spit. Spit on my uh, childhood. Sorry, spit. Uh, Yeah. So, it didn't do any of that. Um, it, it, It was fine at times. It was a little boring at times, and it was good at other times. Um, but it never got to the point where I was like, "Oh, this is terrible." Like I said, the worst part. So you never of, hated it. I There's never hated you it. Hated about it. Other, the only thing that really bothered me about the movie was that they didn't de-age his voice in the beginning. Um, which, which, mm. like I said, after that time, I never thought about it again. Uh, after the first ten minutes of the movie, I, I didn't think about it again. It didn't. It's not something that weighed on me the whole movie. Um, but in the moment, that did bother me. So I, I'm not going to say it didn't. Um, but other than that, 
Uh, I, I really didn't have any problems with the movie. Like I said, a little boring at times, a little convenient how things, how fast things were figured out at times. Um, yeah. But um, overall, um, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I don't go to the theater very often anymore, so when I do, um, I'm happy to, to, to enjoy the movies I see, and, and I did enjoy this, and I thought it was worth going out to see. All right. Okay, so not a real big mistake from you. Now, for me, I mean, I guess I'm older now, and from a... You read my review, correct, Rich? Yes. Okay, so now, for me, did you agree with it? Did you think I was way off base? Because, I mean, I, it's... I'm very conflicted with this movie, as as you could maybe tell from my review. Like, did anything stand out from you for that, good, bad, or otherwise? Like, um, no. I, I would say I think you gave it two and a half stars. I would say I did give it two and a half stars. Yeah, yeah. so a very marginal thumbs down, a marginal. I would say you should skip it and skip the trek to the. Th- well, here's where you know. We're, go on with what you're going to say, and then I'll I'll explain. I would say, it, for me, it would probably be more around three stars. Um, I did enjoy it. I was... Again, th- that's one viewing. Um, I, I loved Crystal Skull. Not loved, but I enjoyed it, you know, after seeing it in the theater the first time, too. Um, it wasn't until much later that it weared down on me all its flaws, and, uh, you know, when you lose that uh, excitement of, you know, wanting it to be so good. The difference with this is, I didn't go in wanting it to be so good. I just... Mm. I, I, I had already been, you know, like I said, I had a bad taste in my mouth from the last one. So I didn't really mm. go in with high hopes at this one. So I had nothing on the line. Um, whereas uh. with Crystal Skull, I had, you know, my what I thought it should be or what I was I was looking so looking forward to it for so long that uh, there was no way I was going to let it be bad in my head. Um, and it wasn't only until I let that, you know, I, I faced reality when I you know was able to see that. Um, but for, you know, even kind of like with the Star Wars prequels too, right? I wanted to love them so much that I defended them, even though in my deep down I knew they were bad, you know? Um, mm, okay, okay. So uh, with this, I, I wasn't going in with anything. So I don't think my opinion will change too much. It may change a little, and maybe I'll like it a little bit more. Maybe I'll like it a little bit less, but I don't think I'll hate it. Um, okay. Because there was, a, there was enough about this where I was like, ooh, I, I like this. I'm interested in this. This is different. This is new. Um, you know, there, there are some cold blood killings, which, again, uh, are is different for an Indiana Jones movie. So it, it did take itself seriously, which I was I was worried that it wouldn't, but it did. Um, so curious to see uh, how I like it and how it holds up in the long term for me. Um, mm. And I agree that, uh, you know, there are parts of it where it's just like, OK, um, and is this necessary? I'm not going to say it is, but I don't think that it doesn't ruin anything. Okay. I mean, I guess, yeah, all right. I mean, I guess I agree with that, but I mean, I guess I, I feel I have a different burden being a critic <laughs> for my website. So it's sort of like the, the, the essential questions I think one you know would ask, does this deserve to be part of the Indiana Jones canon? Is it worth making the trek to the cinema to see it? And is it worth seeing at all? And my answers to that are, hell no, kind of worth seeing in the theaters, and absolutely yes, worth seeing at all. So, 
does my you know critical review fail in its purpose <laughs> on whether to well, guide you to see the movie or not why, by not giving a definitive answer? Why hell no for does it deserve to be in the canon? Well, you know what? Because it's not nearly as good as the original trilogy, but I guess it's on par in some ways with the uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Here, Kingdom you- of the Crystal Skull has outlandish things, but it also has moments where I felt the nostalgia. I felt the this. I felt the nostalgia as well, but I guess because I'm older now, it just didn't hit me the same way. So maybe that's my fault. So. Once again, neither of the last two films deserve to be part of the Indiana Jones canon. Which one did you like better? The, I, I guess this one, but that's not saying much. Because no, I agree. I, not, I agree. You know, I, I mean, I guess it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're picking between two mediocre, you know, it's like, what do you like better, Domino's or Little Caesars? Rich and I both live in New Jersey, so <laughs> we'll know... We would never buy those pizzas if we, you know, unless we absolutely had to because we were starving. So it's just sort of like ah, they, 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 they're pizza. They hit the spot. They're okay, mm-hmm. but they're not amazing. So it's just it, it's it's whatever for me. It's it's you know. But once again, a lot of this, you know, depends on the viewer and their expectations. Okay. How much they love and admire Indiana Jones will determine if they walk out happy humming the theme song by John Williams as the credits roll, or if they walk out thinking that they're spitting on their childhood. So, I I mean, I feel like my star rating is fair, even though it's maybe not helpful. I just, you know... Different people of a certain age are going to view this a different way, and different people with how they feel about Indiana Jones. We have friends, Rich, that don't hold Indiana Jones in as much high regard as we do. Right. I think you hold Indiana Jones even higher than I do. Um, I reserve that spot, I guess, for James Bond. But uh, so maybe that's where I'm a little biased with you know when there's a mediocre James Bond movie, and I'm like, it's amazing, you know, that sort of thing. So. Mm-hmm. We just, it it depends on the viewer. So you know what? If you're going to see this movie, no review is going to stop you from seeing it. If you're going to enjoy it, you're going to enjoy it. And for all the reasons we mentioned that are good, all the reasons we mentioned that are bad, if you're not going to like it, you know, just trying to be as subjective as I possibly can, it's an okay movie. And you Mm -hmm. know what? With all the craziness that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull threw at us, it's still kind of it's entertaining, maybe not in a good way. Maybe sometimes I, you know, uh, there's at times it is movies yeah. that we like for bad and outlandish and ridiculous things, you know, and guilty pleasures. I certainly don't think it's a guilty pleasure, but it's it's it at times. Yes, you're right. It's entertaining, and so is this. This is a more consistent. And even though yes, there is cold blooded killing, and it doesn't play the safe route in a lot of ways. It's a safer movie. I feel like this movie. It's it's also a product of 2023. I'm glad that they made Harrison Ford be the hero and not second fiddle. But mm-hmm. it feels too long, and that's a problem with every movie nowadays. Yeah. Okay? It, yeah, uh, you know, I, I called Banshees of Inisherin in the best movie of 2022, and you know what? I'm sure if I watched that again, even that I'd feel was a little too long. Mm-hmm. So 
the third act did throw a whopper of a surprise near the end. I like that. But my biggest problem with this movie is it aims for the middle to please everyone. And Kathleen Kennedy, Disney, Marvel, all these people are very good at it. They hit a bullseye. They they aim for the middle. They don't risk too much, but right. they don't play it too safe either. So it, it's, you know, it's okay. It's mm-hmm. Is it a real big mistake? Once again, I feel like with with people with Indiana Jones, he's so personal to some people, and we grew up watching him, so that nostalgia factor can never be denied. Uh, similar to Back to the Future, similar to James Bond, you know, or, or certain things from the 80s. Star Wars, absolutely. It's just, it's tough to, you know, really... Critics' reviews aren't going to matter. You know, the, all the, these Transformers and Fast and the Furious movies, they might get horrible reviews, but the people that are seeing them, they don't care about the reviews, okay? Mm-hmm. They're going to see it no matter what, okay? The Marvel movies, people are going to see Marvel or Star Wars no matter what because it just has that name on it. So, I mean, I don't think anyone in their right opinion, no matter how much they love this movie, is going to say it's as good as the original trilogy, but I don't think anyone's going to hate it either. There's nothing right. detestable about this movie like the last one. So there's good to that and there's bad to that. So I stand by, yes, it's a very marginal, real big mistake. But mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a minor, <laughs> it's a real minor mistake. <laughs> I'm not sure how, yeah. what the right phrasing is. But I didn't hate it. I wouldn't recommend someone to pay money to see it but i would say you know what when it's on disney plus a couple of months from now yeah sure watch it and Mm -hmm. and you might have a good time um all right well then that does it for this episode um we will um probably be back with another movie soon we just have to figure out what and when um yep that's the hard part yeah (laughs) But uh, for now, um, if you're okay with it, I guess we're ready to sign off. Um, I'm ready too, yeah, so. All right, so uh, again, my name is uh, Rich Tola. Um, you could find us on Twitter and Instagram um, at Real Big Mistake. And um, follow us on there. And, and anytime we post uh, new episodes, we will update those, po- those pages as well. Yes, and I'm Jason Konigsberg. You can read all my reviews and listen to all my podcasts at panandslam.com, www.panandslam.com, and follow me on uh, Twitter at Jason K. Critic. Live long, prosper, and watch movies. All right, thanks for hanging with us.